And I think that, you know, that was definitely probably one of the scariest things about having the dispersal was and not selling privately, especially those horses that have been so important to me, like Waylon and Penelope and Fireman and Flatline and, you know, those horses that have been so great for me. And I think I had a lot of anxious feelings leading up to that night because just the unknown of where they're going to go and all those things. But, you know, I'm a big believer in prayer and I spent a lot of time just praying that the right people would end up with them. And I think that is probably what gave me my peace about it. I had a feeling in my heart that everything was going to be great. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of on the rail podcast i'm super excited about the guests we have for you guys today i think everyone is going to enjoy this episode i know jenna and i are going to enjoy this conversation so without further ado i'm gonna let her introduce herself You want to just give us a little bit of background, like how did you get your start into horses? Like what's your first core memory of them and kind of what's your role now within the industry? Well, I'm Kristen Gallion and I started showing horses at about the age of five. You know, I got my first pony when I was four years old and just fell in love with horses. My dad, growing up, he had racehorses, so even though I couldn't ride them or anything like that. I just enjoyed being around them. And once I got a pony and started riding, I soon realized that it was something that I really wanted to do and start competing. And I started showing horses at the 4-H level. I was, you know, probably, I guess I'd been about six years old when I started that. So it just gradually, I kept advancing and soon found myself on the quarter horse circuit and never looked back. When did you fully make the, I guess it's not really a transition, but from doing more of the 4-H level stuff to being like at a full-time AQHA level? How old were you? Well, it would have been about that 11 years old, 12 years old area because I was, you know, showing at the 4-H level and, you know, taking this little horse that was actually a retired racehorse, oddly enough, is what I showed. And I showed him in all the events, you know, I remember entering, but basically every class I could enter, you know, go into those shows. That's what we did back then. We did everything, literally. (laughs) I remember going to my first AQHA show and I was actually, you know, I lived in Edmond, Oklahoma at the time. And oddly enough, the AQHA show was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we traveled up here and I remember... I did really well on the 4-H circuit on this horse and I came to an AQHA show and I don't think I ever placed. And so we were like, man, you know, we got to figure out what this is about. And just we realized very quickly that it was very, very competitive compared to what we had been doing and knew that I needed to get a trainer and get, you know, serious about getting better. And we sought out, you know, the best trainers in our area and stumbled upon uh, Jackie Kershka. We got recommendations to go to her, and I started uh, lessons with her twice a week, 
And immediately she's like, you need a different horse. This horse is not going to work for AQHA circuit. You know, you need something more competitive. And so we started looking for horses. And I remember taking lessons on conclusive barcoding and the mega step at the time and horses that were just, to me, you know, just unbelievable because they were just so much better than what I had ever ridden. So I really enjoyed going to Jackie's and just spending time with her and getting to ride horses of that caliber. It was amazing experience. So when it comes to legendary Lucy, her vital signs are good. When did you acquire her? And what was that experience like for you as a younger person at the time? I guess it was my first year in college and I was just moving up into the amateur from the youth. And we bought her actually at the World Show in 2002. Leonard Berryhill had seen her at the Congress and I had seen pictures of her but I never got to see her in person at the Congress, you know, because I was in and out going to and from school and trying to, you know, show the all around and all that stuff. And I had already flown home to go back to school when they found her at the Congress. And so I got to see her for the first time in person at the World Show. And she was just like I say, just like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I knew I, I got to ride her and I remember going to ride her over there at the performance arena and I loped her one lap and I stopped. My mom was in the stands and I stopped and I said, this, we gotta, I gotta have this horse. She's amazing. I've never ridden anything like her. And she's like, well, are you sure you don't want to like ride her some more? You just went one, one lap. And so that's all. Like, <laughs> like, nope. This, guys. this is the most incredible horse I've ever felt. And boy, was she ever. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And I think she was ahead of her time, even though she's still like, continued to be very competitive, you know, throughout her entire career as she got older too. But what a tremendous feeling that would have been back in the early 2000s. Yes, it was quite an experience. And, you know, that was really my first transition into a big time pleasure horse. You know, I I had shown the all around very heavily. My favorite class to show in was hunt seat equitation. And, you know, I'd had horses that were more like on the, you know, English side of things until I got Lopen Leaguer, which is the horse I had right before Lucy. And that was my first like dabble in the pleasure, you know, because I'd never really shown in it before, before him. And so when I got her and of course, you know, I'm very biased, but, you know, she was the greatest pleasure horse, in my opinion, you know, that for sure that I've ever ridden, but. I had never felt anything like her when I got to try her for the first time. It was incredible. Do you think you understood at that time what she was? No, no, I don't. You know, I think that she was so incredibly talented and, you know, at the time didn't know her super well because the first year of me owning her, she lived in Florida with Shirley Roth because we didn't want to change anything. And we wanted to do the futurities, which is something that I had never done before because all the horses I'd shown prior to her were all older and out of the futurities. And so, you know, I really was just flying in and meeting her at the shows and just her three-year-old year, just getting a feel of her. In fact, I, I think the first show I took her to, it was in Perry, Georgia, and it was a couple of weeks after the world show. I can't remember what that show was called back then, but I remember, you know, the first time I showed her, we had, you know, a couple bobbles she broke here and there. And just, I, you know, I, we didn't have a feel for each other. And I think I ended up getting fourth there. That was a little discouraging. Of course, I wanted to do better. But again, we didn't really know each other that well. And 
I think we never looked back after that. We started clicking and every show after that we did really well in and we kind of understood each other. But I didn't really get to know her until I brought her home her four-year-old year. With the growing connection that you two had, is there any, you guys obviously were super successful, but is there any like one moment that truly sticks out to you? And maybe it's not even in the show pen, but like, what was that solidifying moment that you knew you two had the best connection? Like, what was that moment? I think probably in 2005, I think is where we just, we knew each other inside and out and Sometimes I think she knew me better than I knew myself sometimes. I think we had that four-year-old year, which would have been 2004, of just really spending a lot of time in the saddle and just really getting to know her and her personality, which, you know, her personality was very sweet, but also liked her space. She was one of the horses, very opinionated. You know, she had opinions and you kind of had to let her do it her way and you couldn't really make her do anything. You know, if you kind of got in an argument with her, you better put her up for a while and let her forget about it and ask for forgiveness and try again later. <laughs> like do mares don't typically forget very well. She was definitely like that. And, you know, if we disagreed about something, I would put her up and bring her back out later and go about it a different way and find a way that worked for her. And that was her. And I think that carries over in the BS lines. You know, they're amazing horses but you also it's a give and take you know they're they're not horses that you can dominate or make submissive or anything like that that's not how they excel in my opinion you know they you want to be be their friend and then they try their heart out for you and that's how she was so that's a perfect segue but what has it been like then showing her offspring as kind of the second part of her career you know it was super interesting every baby was their own being they had her similarities and each one was different and they were similar to her in different ways Waylon was probably I'd have to say and I it feels weird saying to pick a favorite because they're like all my kids but he was definitely my favorite mostly because I got to work with him so much his two-year-old year I did a lot of it myself going into the congress and spent a lot of time with him and he had her personality just very sweet, very kind. But again, you know, you had to kind of make it his idea and make it fun for him. And, you, you know, you couldn't get after him too much because he would get worried. He was a stressor a little bit. He wanted, he tried it really hard, but if he didn't understand something, you know, you kind of had to simplify everything and make it fun. And I enjoyed working with him and getting to know him and becoming a team with him. That was a fun journey for me. I'm not sure there's been a mare that has stamped her offspring quite like Lucy has. I mean, they all have a certain look to them, certainly, but they also have a very distinctive way of, I see it loping, you know, yes. more, and they're great joggers too, don't get me wrong, but they have a distinctive, just kind of like, I don't know what you guys, you probably have a word, but it's like a Lucy lope, you know, and like nobody quite does that like her offspring does. I think the biggest thing for Lucy, and I think she was born way ahead of her time, is just her self-carriage. She mm -hmm. had so much just physical strength, and it was just so easy for her to lope. I mean, she could lope for hours because it wasn't work for her. It was like she was just meant to do that. And her babies, a lot of them are like that. It just comes easy for them. They don't have to work to keep their bodies together and, and lope and self-carry the way we want them to do that. They're just naturally gifted in that area. 
Definitely. And they're always great in their top mm-hmm. lines and their ears and expression. Yeah, I think their expression and their ears and just overall. And I think that plays heavily into the fact that it is easy for them. So it's not really a job. It's something that they enjoy doing. And they portray that in the show pen. And it just really elevates them and separates them from, you know, other horses, I think, and makes that distinct VS look. Definitely. And it's almost irregardless of the stallion too, which is another credit to her and how strong her genetics are there. Yes, for sure. She had a lot of great babies by a lot of different studs. And, you know, to me, that's the definition of a great mare. And like I said, they all had similarities to her, but also differences, you know, that were like the studs as well. So they were, it was a cool thing to see how each one grew into their own show horse and their, you know, their own being, even though they all were similar to her too. So with all of that, let's kind of dive into your decision-making and whatever went through your brain at the time of when you decided to do the VS dispersal sale. What's the main driving force behind that? Well, you know, it's been, like I said, this decision was definitely the toughest decision for me to make, but it's been, you know, a decision that it's been thought out for the last couple of years. You know, I've realized that I, in my life right now, I've got a lot going on back when it was before I had kids and, and all of that. I had so much time to vote to the horses. And that's back when I was showing Waylon and he was a young stud. I had so much more time to devote and focus on just that. So my girl's getting a little older and they're in sports and they're also showing and my husband, he's big in the cutting horse industry and we've been super busy. You know, last year he won horse of the year. So we we were going to all the shows last year and we spent a lot of time apart too because, you know, I was campaigning firemen. Aaron was going to all the shows, the futurities. And, you know, I, I missed a lot of the, the early futurities, but I, you know, was able to show them at the Congress and stuff. And then we had Phantom coming up and just a lot going on. Before I knew it, I looked up and I had four stallions. And being a stud owner, there's just so many things that go into doing a great job as a stallion owner, being there for, you know, mare owners' questions and, promoting the studs at the shows and doing everything that you can to make sure that, you know, the customer service for the mare owner and breeding season is the way it should be. And it just got to where it was just too much for me to do everything. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, if I'm going to do something, I want to try to do a really good job at it. And so I realized that it just, I didn't have the time anymore to devote to being a stud owner. And that was the big driving force of downsizing And I just, you know, I told Wes, I said, you know, the pleasure horses have always been fun for me. That's always been my hobby. You know, it's not my career. And it got to where it was almost feeling like work. And I needed that to just shift to be like, hey, you know what? I want to do this because I want to. And I want to do it because it's fun. And it's something that I love to do. And I don't necessarily want to be in the stallion ownership chair anymore, if that makes sense. I think there's been a lot of people have been trying to sort out where exactly they want their place to be right now in the horse industry. And so I think that's going to be like super relatable to everyone as somebody even like you has the kind of stop and question of what makes you happy because we can all get so deep in it that it's hard to get. I mean, it's easy to get lost and forget what fills your cup instead of drains your cup when it comes to horses. 
I think that as you go through life, your priorities change. And, you know, I remember as a young woman, 25, 26 years old, my dream was to have a stallion. You know, I remember thinking, admiring Joan Schroeder and Blazing Hot and her showing him and stuff. That was something that I thought was so cool. And I always wanted that. And, you know, then Waylon came along and, you know, I loved that part of the industry for a long time. But, you know, in life, your your priorities change when you have kids and, you know, your focus sometimes has to be shifted onto what's the most important right now. And that's my family. And so that was definitely when I realized, you know what, I want to spend more time at the cuttings with Wes and being here for the girls for their sporting events. And that right now is my priority. And, you know, I still love the pleasure horses and I still want to show and but I want to do it for fun and no pressure. And, you know, when you're showing a stud, it's a lot of pressure, you know, because you want them to be the the best version of themselves every time you show. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. And uh, yeah, so I think that played into effect too. just, hey, you know what, like, I want to spend time with my family and I want to do this for fun. And other people out there that love the VS lines, just like I do, that, you know, could devote more time to being a stud owner. And I couldn't be happier where they all ended up. So it worked out. I know you likely had a ton of emotions and planning into the sale before it was even announced. But when it was announced this summer, what was your brain space head emotions like at that time? Well, my family and I were actually in Jackson Hole in June. And that was probably our last like family meeting where I was like, this is what we're going to do. It's funny because, you know, my mom and dad, they're very supportive. They've been very supportive my whole life. And, you know, they're partners on several of the studs. We're we're partners on several of the studs. My husband and I own firemen ourselves, but they were partners on the other three. And, you know, they always let me kind of run the stud business and just kind of just admired from afar and just were super, super supportive of every decision down to showing them, breeding them, all those things. And I came to them, I guess it would have been early summer. I'd already kind of talked to Wes and was like, you know, I think it's time to kind of just downsize the pleasure side of things a little bit and just really hone in and focus on our cutting operation and breeding operation. And, you know, he kind of looked at me with this puzzled look, like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And at that point, I had already made up my mind. And so I had sat down with my parents and kind of explain this to them. And they're like, we're really surprised it took you this long because we've, we've been thinking that you're, you know, you need to kind of slow down and, you know, not be so stressed all the time because with the dealerships and all that stuff, I was going 100 miles an hour. But they didn't ever want to be the first one to say anything that, hey, maybe we should sell the studs and slow down. So uh, I think they were kind of like, man, I'm I'm glad that this is you coming up with this yourself. And they were super supportive. Probably had to be the right time and place anyway. If they had suggested that, then you probably wouldn't have been in a mind space to be ready to do it yet. I think that was probably their thought process was like, hey, like this is her deal. And if she wants to continue to do it and, you know, that's what we're going to do. And but when I came to him and kind of told him why they were like, you know, yeah, we totally get it. So because they see how busy I am. So. Was your intent then all along to kind of tack on the sale with everybody being in Oklahoma anyway for the NSBA World Show? Yeah, so I think 
when we were in Jackson Hole in June, we sat down and really tried to kind of, hey, like, what's the best way to go about this? You know, it was important to me. I wanted to sell them all together, you know, and have a sale. And I had, you know, obviously a lot of babies and embryos and stuff like that. So I wanted to do, you know, the sale together with the stallions and the babies. And, you know, I, I knew I wanted it to be the VS sale. And the next step was figuring out what time of year would be best and where to do it. We had discussed, you know, having it at the NSBA World Show. In fact, that was almost what we did, but I'm so glad that we ended up having it at the house because it made it even more sentimental and, you know, at the place where all these horses grew up. And it was a cool feeling for me, you know, having it at home and having all those horses in the barn together at the same time because that was the first time that they'd all been right there together because they're usually, you know, scattered at the breeding farm or the trainers or this or that. So it was cool having them all together and it was definitely a memorable night, that's for sure. I remember seeing you post a video of Waylon or you were riding him around or getting to lope him around a little bit, but it was a, a day or two before the sale. And is that the first time you'd been on him in quite a while? Yeah, it was. And I don't even know why I decided I wanted to do that. I think, you know, I'd had him at the house for a while and, you know, of course he gets exercise every day on the walker and yeah, I haven't ridden him in probably 10 years. And I just, I told Wes, we had worked cutting horses that morning. And I was like, I, I think I'm going to throw a saddle on Waylon. And he was like, you're going to do what? I just, you know, I want to ride him one last time. And he was like, well, okay. I saddled him up and it was like he never missed a beat. He, I think he had actually a good time. I think he was happy. He was licking his lips and kind of happy to, to do something again. I'm sure they probably get bored when they're not doing much. So he was he was having as much fun as I was, I think. He certainly didn't look like he missed a beat there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was around and I was like, you think he'll remember how to change leads? Because I mean, it's for sure been 10 years since he's done that. The first time I asked him, he kind of stabbed the lead change. And of course, I was cracking up, but because he tried, you know, and then the second one and the third one, he, he got it perfectly. I was like, it's amazing what they can remember. What a good boy. He's the best. Did that make you rethink? selling or was it still made up in <laughs> your mind that would have made me second guess myself <laughs> I mean I don't think it made me second guess myself because I, I knew you know I'm usually one of those people once I kind of make a decision and make up my mind that's what I'm gonna do and I don't usually look back and you know regret those decisions because I think you know God put that on my heart for a reason and it was something that I'd prayed about for a long time so I was super at peace with it but it didn't make it any less hard, you know, like I knew I wanted to ride him one last time, but it was definitely a, an emotional moment for sure. I bet. Were there any other memorable moments for you from the sale that stand out to you? I mean, I know there was, you know, let's say I'm sure there were loads of moments for you, but. Well, it's funny because two or three nights before the sale, I'd had a nightmare and I woke up you know, like sweating and so stressed out in the nightmare that was, it was sale night and nobody showed up. And <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, I told Wesley about it and he's like, oh, well, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. You know, he, he's always, he's <laughs> always, a bummer. <laughs> yeah, he's always positive and he's like, that would never happen. Everybody's, there's going to be a lot of people here. And 
we laugh at it now because within 30 minutes of opening the gates at the sale on sale day, the whole area of parking, which is a huge area, was completely full. And we had to open up our cow pastures to start parking vehicles. And we all kind of laughed. And he said, well, I guess your your dream's not coming true. So that's good. Right. Did people tell you like who was coming or did you have any idea of the number of people that were going to be there? Well, no. To answer your question, I had no idea. And, you know, Kyle Myers and Mike Jennings, we had a lot of conversations as far as, you know, the catering. I wanted to make sure we had enough food for everybody in the bars and all of that. But trying to estimate how many people were going to be there was probably the toughest thing because we really just had no idea. And, you know, All of our phones had been ringing off the hook, you know, answering questions. And so, you know, I I had an idea that I thought there would be quite a few people, but you you just never know until auction day shows up. And it's one of the things that you just kind of give your best guess. Yeah. The fact that you guys provided dinner for everyone ahead of time, I'm like, that takes it to a whole nother level of trying to prepare for this thing without knowing exactly who's going to be there. We definitely did not expect the turnout to be as big as it was. I think we had food for 500 people or something like that, and we ran out of food. Oh, wow. But luckily, we had a lot of snacks and hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. So I think, you know, people were all right. But yeah, we underestimated on the turnout for sure. Speaking from an entirely outsider perspective, I think it was nice to see you guys put out the information that everything actually was going to be sold in the ring and that there wasn't going to be any prior deals because there's so much smoke and mirrors that goes along with horse sales today. So I assume though, you were probably asked a lot beforehand if anything was going to be for sale. That was probably the most frequently asked question was, you know, can they be bought before the sale? And, you know, I had a lot of people try really hard to buy things before the sale and, you know, just talking to Wes and, and my parents, I just, I wanted it to be, the most authentic, real sale, you know, that the industry, I just wanted everything to be on the up and up. I wanted everything to be straightforward and honest. And this line has been near and dear to my heart. And I just, this was kind of closing that chapter and I wanted to do it in the most perfect way. And I just, every person that came, I wanted them to have a fair shot at owning these horses. And that was the only fair way to do it is to do an auction and, 100% of the horses sell no matter what, and they sell live. And that was something that was super important to me. And it was something I stood by and I'm glad I did. It's very commendable. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was scary too, because you never know how sales are going to go. You know, every sale is different. And, you know, obviously we had a lot of great offers on the horses and Wes and I decided to take that risk and, hey, we want to be fair to everybody and everything's going to sell that night and they're going to bring what the market says they're worth. So with the stallions going on to new owners now, what's your future hope for the VS legacy as it stands nowadays? And what do you hope for the stallions with all of their new owners? Well, I think the VS legacy is in great hands. I hope that it continues to do what it has and, you know, continue to raise some incredible horses for the industry and, bringing dreams to reality for a lot of people. And I think that they will continue to do that. I think that the new owners are super excited 
of the stallions and I think they will continue to do amazing things. They're great horses and you know, no, no matter if my name's on their papers or somebody else's, they're going to continue to do great things. I believe that. Speaking from just a horse mom perspective, was it nerve wracking to you on a personal level to not have any say in where the stallions or any of these offspring ended up? I assume you had made peace with that if you felt that way. But I know for me, that would like eat at me a little bit going into it. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, that was definitely probably one of the scariest things about having the dispersal was and not selling privately, especially those horses that have been so important to me, like Waylon and Penelope and Fireman and Flatline and, you know, those horses that have been so great for me. And I think I had a lot of anxious feelings leading up to that night because just the unknown of where they're going to go and all those things. But, you know, I'm a big believer in prayer and I spent a lot of time just praying that the right people would end up with them. And I think that is probably what gave me my peace about it. I had a feeling in my heart that everything was going to be great. We haven't touched on Penelope, but with her not being one of the stallions, but just a mare, did you feel like you had reached a spot where you had accomplished everything with her and it was time for her to go on? Well, my family and I bought Penelope in 2020. And, you know, we bought her for the stallions. She was, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest pleasure mares to ever live. And we bought her as an investment and as a broodmare to cross on the studs every year because I really didn't have anything to breed to them because all my horses are by them. So I was doing a lot of buying embryos and stuff like that. So she became available and talking with the Mastersons and and all of that, we had bought her to breed to the studs every year. And so when the decision came that, hey, you know, we're going to really slow down on the breeding side of things for the pleasure horses and get out of the stud business, you know, we had a sizable investment in Penelope. And that was one of the things that, hey, you know, we're not going to be doing this as much anymore. And so we decided to sell her too. And my girls, you know, they show Lady and or VS Lady in Red, which is Fireman's mom, and they show Vital Lines of Red. And my oldest has an English horse too that they're showing. And so We had plenty of show horses and felt like it was, you know, Penelope, she's, it's probably great that she gets to retire and live out her life at, at Florida and just, you know, be a breed mare. So I think it it worked out great. She didn't have anything left to prove. That's for sure. Definitely. That totally makes sense from a business perspective as well. And that's, and that was, you know, she was a business first and, you know, of course my family We loved her very much and we'll go visit her anytime we're in Florida. But, you know, she was bought for the studs. So we made that decision. It was it made sense to go ahead and sell her, too. So it doesn't sound like you're getting completely out of the pleasure horses, especially with your girls showing. No, like I told Aaron and, you know, when I broke the news to Aaron of what I was doing, I think he was just as shocked as everybody else. But I explained to him, you know, like I said, I want to get back to doing this for fun. I want to have mares. You know, if we raise a stud or something, you know, I might show them and then we'll sell them or or whatever that might be. But right now, I just want to keep a select few mares and have a few babies a year instead of 10 or 12 pleasure horses a year. And so, yeah, I got a couple horses that we're keeping. You know, I kept a two-year-old out of Penelope that I love very much. She's a code red. And we're super excited about debuting her next year. And then I, I kept a yearling out of VS Lady in Red by R.L. Bessa Sutton. That's a filly. 
So, yeah, we're not getting out. We're not leaving the industry. That's for sure. I mean, we're still going to be be around and be showing. My girls are going to the Congress to show a few classes. So we look forward to that. And, you know, we'll still have a couple babies here and there. And hopefully we'll continue to raise a couple great ones, I hope. I'm sure you will. Do you enjoy the cutting site? Like, is that part fun to you and less of a business? Yes, I enjoy the cutting very much. It's a totally different feeling from the pleasure horse. You know, the pleasure horses, it's such an appreciation of a great pleasure horse and getting to ride a great pleasure horse. It's more of an appreciation feeling and just enjoyment. The cutting is more of just an adrenaline rush, just, you know, fast paced, physical. It's physical on your body but it's so much fun. And it's, you know, it's tough mentally because you can never perfect it. And I think that that's one thing I love about it because it's just, it's always different. Every situation, every time you go to the herd, every situation is different. And, you know, to be good at the cutting, you just have to go down there with a no fear mentality and just kind of let it hang out. And I kind of enjoy that thrill a little bit of that because you cannot perfect it. So you're always working to to be better and, to handle situations better. And yeah, so it never gets boring, I guess. (laughs) I do find cutting very thrilling, but I am curious, do you have like a favorite horse right now within the cutting world that you would share with us at all? Yeah. So, well, my favorite horse to this point is the one I won the NCHA for charity on. Her name's Courageous and she was a really special horse for me. I won it in 2019 and we end up winning the non-pro horse of the year in 2020. And she was just an amazing horse throughout her career. She actually turned seven this year. So she's aged out of the big age events. And my daughter is now showing her. She actually showed her for the first time. They have a big youth scholarship cutting at the Derby, which is in July. And it was only Graceland's second time to show her and probably third time ever to show And my husband and I, we had no expectations, you know, we're just praying that she could just get one cow cut, you know, and she ended up cutting her cows amazing. And she marked a 218 and made the finals. So it was, it was a super cool thing for me just to have a horse that was so special for me. And, you know, to win the NCHA for charity is like the Super Bowl of the cutting sport. So it's the highest achievement. It's like winning the the world show on AQHA. And so to have a mare do that for me that we were going to, you know, she's one of our cornerstone brood mares and then her to do that for my daughter and be so good for my daughter has been a special thing for me to be able to be a part of. But answer your question, my favorite horse right now that we're showing is her name is Venomous and she is a full sister to third edge, which is the horse that Wes won horse of the year on and, you know, a ton of shows. He was amazing for Wesley and, Venomous, he showed at the Futurity last year and did really well in the open. And she's been just a great horse. All She's only four. So we're super excited. I, I started showing her in May and have had a lot of fun getting to show her and made the finals both times and have just, yeah, she's just a really cool horse to be around. She's very kind and very smart and intelligent and very athletic. She's a big mare. She's as big as a pleasure horse sometimes, I think. She's a big mare. So we're excited about, you know, showing her and finishing her career out and hopefully raising some great babies out of her too. I love her name. I know. That's (laughs) what I was just... I was like, who comes up with the names? Because they're so great. Well, so her mother's name is Little Rattler. And she was (laughs) one of Wes's early 
her horses once we got married. I guess we had been married for a little bit and Little Rattler came along. And so when we had a mare out of her, I was like, gosh, Venomous would be a cool name for a mare. And yeah, it fits her really well. I love it. I love that one. And I love Courageous too, Mm -hmm. the way it's spelled. Seeing that one. So I'm like, you guys, you have some name game, I guess. (laughs) Every now and then we come up with some good ones. (laughs) You're on point with the cutting horses, especially. They're great names. Every time I see them, I'm like, that's such a good name. Well, thank you. So when it comes to kind of family and personal life, what's your ideal balance now going forward between your career, family and being a mother? I think every day is a different day. And, you know, I think I I do the best I can to try to, you know, find that balance. Some days are better than others on doing that. But when we're at home and not at a show, I spend most of my time at the dealerships. My brother, he runs our Dodge Chrysler Jeep store and I run our Chevy store and we work together a lot and he steps in when I've got to be out of town and pulls double duty. So he's awesome that, you know, he helps and enables me to be able to go on the road with Wes when we need to go to horse shows. So it's definitely a team effort when it comes to the family auto business. My dad is still very active in it. He travels a lot. He spends a lot of time in Jackson Hole, which rightly should, especially in the summertime because it's so nice there. So, but he's still, you know, he still helps. And so, you know, when I say it's family effort, that's what it is. We all work together and brainstorm together and, you know, and then when I come home from work, it's all about my family. You know, the girls get out of school and I'm helping with homework and cooking dinner and doing all the fun mom stuff. So that's priority number one for me is just being a great mom and trying to be supportive of their goals and dreams and what they want to do and the sports that they want to do. My youngest just got into cheer, which is a new element for me because I've never, never done cheer before, but hey, we're going to the games and supporting her. So she loves it. And so that's what we're going to do. We have one playing and one cheering. So that works. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My brother's little boy is in her grade. And so he's playing football and she's cheering. So we get to watch them both. So it's fun. There you go. Who was Bruce Walquist to you since you did part of the benefit at the sale for him? Bruce was just such a special person. He was just one of those guys at the horse shows that you just always look forward to seeing. And he was always just so genuinely interested in how life was going and always asking how the girls were. And, you know, he's known Wesley's family for a long time. He was best friends with Wes's dad, Jody Gallion, and Wes's mom, Debbie Gallion. They were all really, really close when Wes was growing up. So, you know, really, Wesley knew him even better than I did. So when we decided to have the dispersal sale, it was, you know, a couple months after Bruce's accident, and it was just on Wes and I's heart, and actually Wes came up with it that we should do that. And I said, absolutely. And it was just something that we both felt like, you know, it was something God wanted us to do, and we were happy to do it. So he was just a great person, and his family is all amazing. So it was something we wanted to do. So now that you're, what, a month-ish removed from the sale, have you had time to reflect back on it and process the emotions of it? And are you happy, sad, satisfied? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, it was a whirlwind and things are kind of slowing down. And, you know, it's definitely... It's kind of a nice feeling because my phone's definitely slowed down, not having the staff <laughs> phone calls. And all that. That's yeah, kind of that's nice. got to be nice. 
when your phone's ringing at eight o'clock at night and breeding season and somebody needs semen and couldn't get a hold of the breeding farm or this or that, you know, and you times that by four studs, it's just a lot. So that's been nice. Things have slowed down for me on that side of things. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a really surreal thing that obviously we had hopes that it would go good and it went better than we could have ever imagined. So yeah, I'm just super at peace with it. I am so glad that the people that bought the horses that they went to those people and, you know, I've got to know several of them and I'm just super pleased with where they're at. And yeah, I couldn't be happier about it, to be honest with you. So what's other than more cutting for sure, but what's next for you and the family and your girls? You say they've got plans to show this year at Congress, maybe what's kind of on their horizon, because I know that's definitely now on your horizon for sure. So what's next for you and your family? Yes, the girls are going to the Congress and they're both going to show Lady and then Graceland's going to show her English horse, Real Southern Assets. So we're excited about that. Wes and I fly out actually this Tuesday to go to Las Vegas to a show there for about nine or 10 days. And we're both going to show. And then we go to the Bash, which is in October. So I'll basically fly straight from the Congress to Weatherford, Texas and meet Wes there and show there. And then we're going to really just dive into the Futurity Colts and the, the NCHA Futurity is coming up in November and that's our Super Bowl. So that's where our focus is at right now. And the girls will be done after the Congress for the fall. We may, you know, go to some smaller shows around Christmas time, but I think we're kind of aiming next year to go to the Sun Circuit. Hopefully the three-year-old that I have will be getting close to being making her debut and getting to campaign her next year. So we're excited about that for the pleasure side of things. Erin's got her going really good, and I got to ride her the other day, and she's really exciting. I'm excited to see what she does. So it sounds like you don't have many days planned to be at home for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oddly enough, we're not. This is the busiest time of year. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's going to be the shortest time frame I've ever been at the Congress. I think I'm only there for like three or four days. That's the shortest time I've ever spent at the Congress. That's for sure. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'll be a different experience for you then. And yeah, maybe you'll be in and out of there before the Congress cred takes hold of you. Well, yes. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be unfair. Get out of that. That's for sure. Yeah. So I know we've taken up plenty of your time today and we really appreciate it. But do you have any words of wisdom or advice for other people in the horse industry facing challenging decisions or not sure how to make their dreams come true? You've obviously gotten to live a lot of little girls' dreams in your career and you work insanely hard for it. So we're definitely not discrediting that. But kind of what would you say to anybody with aspirations? Well, you know, it's kind of crazy because I was actually on Facebook earlier today and somebody had posted a comment on, you know, it was like a personal question of like, hey guys, I know this is kind of a personal question, but you know, how much money do you guys make to be able to afford to get a good horse and feel like you have a chance to do good in the quarter horse industry and all of that. And that just really bothered me because I just, you know, and I think the biggest thing I want people to know is Anybody can do anything they want to if they set their mind to do it. I came from the 4-H world on a $1,000 horse, probably, and just did it because I loved it. And my family, a lot of people don't know this, but they came from nothing. My parents grew up in a double-wide trailer, or when they were married, that's what they lived in. And my dad was going to be a cop. 
and he went, you know, his first couple weeks or month as a policeman and couldn't pay the bills. And so he was forced to start selling cars. And, you know, he just, he's a very, very hard worker. And soon he was in management and then kept moving his way up and to eventually owning his own dealership. And I guess, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I just want people to, my, my biggest thing is just no matter what your situation is, if you've got a dream and you work hard in this world, you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. And I truly believe that in my journey in the horses to, to today has been such an incredible one, but there's been a lot of ups and downs and a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know, along the way. But those are actually the times that I cherish the most is really just the journey to the show pen. It's not necessarily the awards and the accolades that are what are near and dear to me. So I don't know. I guess that's my biggest thing is I just I hope that people if it's on their heart and it's important to them this to know that you can do anything you want to do. And I think prayer is super important. I said a lot of prayers and I know that I would never have the horses that I had if I hadn't done that. So sometimes God knows better than we do of what we need. And that was definitely my case for sure. I think as with anything in life, if you look for reasons you can't do something, you'll find it. And if you look for reasons you can do something, you'll find that too. 100%. I think, you know, it's easy. The horse world, it's, we're dealing with animals. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. Every horse's personality is different. There's going to be, you know, horses that are easy to train. There's going to be horses that are tough to train, but sometimes, you know, just that journey to the show pen with, with each individual horse, it's always, those paths always look different. And you just got to stay positive and just trust the process because it is a process and just every day work as hard as you can and, you know, keep your eyes on your goals and trust that the hard work will pay off. 100%. Liz, you got anything that I haven't touched on? No, I just need to say the last bit here is definitely my golden ticket of what I need to take away. I appreciate those words, Kristen. It's been a, a, Jenna and I were just talking personally earlier about that sort of topic and just believing in yourself to make things happen. And that definitely hit home for me. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to just stay positive. And, you know, my husband, he's, he's a positive person and he helps me a lot. You know, you're moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts is what he always says. So if those thoughts are negative, then that's the direction you're going to go. But if those thoughts are positive, then you're going to be in good shape. And I believe that in the horse world, it's, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. So it's easy to get negative. And, you know, it's just like I said, you just got to go back to trusting the process and working as hard as you can. And, you know, you're going to do big things. Cannot agree more. I agree. I think people... I've said this before, especially when it comes to horse people, it's easy to look on the outsiders from certain individuals, especially somebody like yourself that's so successful and has tremendous horses and is beautiful and a great person and all that and think like, oh, she's got it made. It must be so easy for her. But I'm like, everybody has a story and struggles in life, you know, and yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people don't see the journey up to when you do have a little bit of success and I want everybody to know that, listen, I did a lot of losing, a lot of losing. 
before I had success in the Chopin. And it was very easy to get down on myself and feel like I wasn't good enough or, hey, maybe this sport isn't for me or maybe I'm too tall or this or that. I remember showing equitation and horsemanship and growing up as a youth, all I wanted to do was win the youth world. And, you know, I came year after year after year just getting my butt kicked. And, you know, I'd work tirelessly in the summertime with Lee and Leonard Berryhill and, you know, just wanted to win that buckle so bad. And, you know, I never did. But I think that was what made me who I am today. You get tough or you go home, you know, and every year I just got a little tougher and a little tougher and mentally just didn't let my failures overtake my attitude towards working hard and just to keep trying. And I just kept swinging the bat and that's what you got to do. But yeah, I think it's important for everybody to know that, <laughs> listen, I did a lot of losing leading up to this point. So it's just part of the process. And I think that's when you learn, you know, your biggest lessons is when you fail and you got to look back and say, okay, well, what do I take away from this? And you learn from your failures and that's how you get better for the next time. So it's just, it's part of the process and you just got to stay positive and keep working. And what's the saying that it's like every overnight sensation was 10 years in the making or something to that, you know, that extent. For sure. There's always a journey to any success that you see. And, you know, it's that work behind closed doors that people, they don't see. And that's what makes you great is that hard work when nobody's watching. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we have taken up plenty of your family time over the weekend. So we'll let you jump off. But thank you so much for your time, your story, your insights, your wisdom, sharing all of that with us. And I know our listeners will be very happy to receive it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on your podcast. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. You you. as well. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right, that'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.